Our text today is going to be Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 24. We're just continuing in our series from Luke, and we're building off of what Josh Matthews preached last week. And today in our sermon, the title of it is Gospel Hospitality. Today, Jesus, he's at a party. The party is at the Pharisee's house. And then Jesus is going to tell stories or parables about meals and parties while he's at a party, all to reveal our hearts and what true and real hospitality really is. So he's going to see, by the time we're done, we're going to see that hospitality, kind of have that idea in your mind, hospitality, as Jesus unpacks it, is going to reveal for us, hospitality reflects and shows the heart of the one giving hospitality, the party host, and it also reflects the heart of the party guests. And then our text today, it's tied together. There's a common theme. Again, this is so awesome. This is this text on our first summer picnic. But it's tied together. The word invite is repeated seven times in verses 7 through 24. And then again, our passage today is going to deal with different types of hospitality. And then I want you to know up front, I just, again, going to be transparent. The tone here in this part of Luke, it's hard. Okay? So I just want you to know Jesus is bringing the noise here in Luke chapter 14, okay? It's confrontational, it confronts us, and that's good. So Jesus, his passage here for us today, it's filled with grace and with truth. Jesus is going to turn the scrutiny of the Pharisees right back on them. Remember at the Pharisees' party, if you just glance up at verse 1 real quick, at the Pharisees' party, and it says the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're watching carefully Jesus. Well, in our passage, he's going to again turn the tables right back on them, and he's going to watch them carefully and bring out what's in their hearts. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we need you. We need to hear from you today through your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to treasure wonderful things from your word. Father, please, through the preaching of your word today, may you comfort and strengthen where needed. May you bring conviction where needed. May all of us repent and believe the gospel. And may your name be glorified in all of it. Lift our eyes from ourselves to you. Open your word to us and open us to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right, the other mic's working. Or, actually, I'm good with this. Or I thought I was cool with this. Okay, all right, here we go. So, three parts in our outline. We're going to see three parties. First party is in verses 7 through 11, and that's status hospitality. Second type of hospitality we're going to see in, in verses 12 through 14, and that's selfish hospitality. And then the last section, verses 15 through 24, we're going to see gospel hospitality. So three different parties we're going to see here today. So first, party number one, status hospitality. Put your finger on the text starting in verse 7. Verse 7, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So again, let's just be crystal clear on the setting here. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house, a Pharisee's party, and they're really watching him with scrutiny. 
So Jesus is really observant. He's turning the scrutiny back on them, and he observes how they're behaving at this party, and then what that really shows about what's in their hearts, how they're functioning at this party, what's inside of them is his focus. And then verses 8 through 11, Jesus is going to share a lesson with the party guests. So he's focusing on the party guests, and his lesson is about humility. So starting in verse 8, Jesus says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So at this party, again, Jesus is observant, and he sees this scramble Of all the guests at the Pharisees' party, he's watching a scramble for the place of highest honor. So there's these tables that are kind of in this U pattern around this low table, or these sofas around the table. And the the U, the bottom of the U, would be where the person of highest honor is sitting. And then the people that are closest to the person of highest honor, on his right or his left, they're big time, right? And then everyone else just falls in descending order. So Jesus watches this. And these party guests are scrambling for the seats of highest honor. And then Jesus sees it, and he says something about it. And he talks about the importance of true humility in God's kingdom from God's point of view. And look at verse 11. What does Jesus say about this scramble for status? Verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is applying Proverbs 25, 6, and 7 to what the party guests are doing. Proverbs 25, 6, and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, Come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So Jesus proclaims to these party guests who are scrambling for status, he says, the way to true humility is to be humbled so that God can exalt you. Jesus is saying, the way up is the way down, because God is the one who does the humbling and the exalting. Again, This is different and a reversal of how they're functioning in this party and what they see real status being. Regarding humility, E. Stanley Jones said this, we make ourselves small trying to be great. Let me read that again because it's poignant. We make ourselves small trying to be great. So picture yourself at this party. Isn't that what all these party guests are doing? They're scrambling for the places of highest honor but they're really making themselves look small in their effort to trying to look great. And again, this is all just based on where you sit at a party. But Jesus uses this opportunity to reveal really what's going on in their heart. And then look at verse 9. Look just how precise Jesus is here. Notice what Jesus says happens inside of this person that tries to sit in the highest place of honor, But then the real person who's supposed to sit there walks in later 
And then the person has to go all the way to the back of the line. And it brought to mind for me, for those of you that are sports fans, especially it seems at like a big NBA game, the cameras will zoom in on who's sitting in the courtside seats. And sometimes, especially I'm going to rebuke you all you Laker fans, those people don't come in until like the end of the first quarter, just so everybody can see them and look how important I am, right? That's what's happening at this party. And again, look again what Jesus says is happening inside the heart of the person who's striving for status, who's motivated by status. Jesus says in verse 9, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. What Jesus said here about shame, it would have just gripped the attention of this original audience here. Because this culture that Jesus is speaking into in this context, it's based on shame. As one commentator put it, honor and shame were key issues of a person's identity, worth, and character. And when you take a step back and think about it, doesn't that sound a lot like our culture today? It seems that our culture is moving more and more from a guilt-based culture, right? You're functioning guilt or not guilty into an honor and shame-based culture. And just think about our cancel culture. People are canceled. You're shamed. You're either in or you're out, and it changes by the hour and by the day. So this shame-based culture Jesus is speaking into Really, practically, it's kind of like a lot of the culture we find ourselves in today as well. Am I missing a movie here? No? Okay. I thought Black Widow was going to show. Um, so Jesus is speaking this parable into the heart of a shame-based culture, and he's saying that really, from God's point of view, the humble will experience glory rather than shame. The humble will experience approval and God will exalt them. The humble will have an identity and security that is sure and steady. Whereas if you're like this person in Jesus's story, if you're motivated by status and with shame, then you're going to be crushed by those things that you're pursuing. So what Jesus is saying here, he's flat out correcting and rebuking with grace and truth what they're pursuing based on how they're acting at a party. So remember, he's at a party, and he's using a story about a party to say what's true. Jesus is an amazing teacher, isn't he? So why do you think, let's just reflect on this for a minute. Why do you think these party guests, why were they acting like this? Why were they striving for status just based on where they're sitting? And then how did that desire for status, how did that make them act? And if we're being honest and I hope we all are today on Church Picnic Sunday, if we're being honest, what Jesus sees in the behavior in the hearts of these party guests, again, that drive for status, the drive to be exalted in front of people, the feelings of shame, this lack of humility that he's calling out, isn't that in all of our hearts too? And really, when we kind of want to see what's working, what's going on in the engines of these people's heart that are at this party, it's really what comes to mind is C.S. Lewis, probably a few of you are aware of this. He has this famous essay called The Inner Ring, and I just thought I'd just read part of it to, it, to us because it kind of helps us understand what's going on here. So in saying The in Inner Ring, C.S. Lewis describes that place in each of our heart of hearts that we all want to be, that we all want to be an insider. We all want to be in the in group, 
don't we? In any setting, whether it be in corporate America or at a church, in your neighborhood or on a team, in your school or even in a family, you all want to be on the inside, right? We want to be in that tight circle of those who really have the influence, who really have the status. That's what's going on here in Luke 14. These party guests are really striving to be on the inner ring just based on where they're sitting at a party. But C.S. Lewis goes on to explain that our desire to be in the inner ring, it's really hard to satisfy. In our story, let's just play this out. Let's say the people that were striving to sit next to the place of highest honor, what if they had been able to stay there for that whole night, for the whole dinner party? Do you think their striving for status would stop for the rest of their life? Not at all. They'd keep striving for more status to be on the inside of the inside group, right? C.S. Lewis says it like this. Just listen to this about the inner ring. Once the first novelty is worn off, the members of this circle will be no more interesting than your old friends. Why should they be? You are not looking for virtue of kindness or loyalty or humor or learning or wit or any of the things that can be really enjoyed. You merely wanted to be in, and that is a pleasure that cannot last. As soon as your new associates have been stalled to you by custom, you will be looking for another ring. The rainbow's end will still be ahead of you. So this inner ring, again, we're sitting under God's word being preached, okay? This inner ring that you see in these party guests, it's in us too. This desire to be on the inside. And in preparing to preach this message, again, we want to be a church that's honest in light of God's word and the gospel. God has been convicting me of my desire to be on the inner ring. Convicted me of my pride and my self-righteous desire for status. And think about that dangerous recipe that's in my heart and I'm coming up in front of you today. That's dangerous. And again, I'm not trying to make this about me, but just trying to be honest to bring us all into the text here, to really sit under God's word and not just have it be in one ear and out the other. We all want status in some way. We all want to be in the inner ring. And if you're right now in your inner voice like, I don't, you're lying to yourself. You really, truly do. The hospitality, remember this is a parable about a party at a party, so it's like it's talking about hospitality. The hospitality in our lives is often motivated by this striving for status of who we're with, of who we're seeking to be on the inside group, right, the inner ring. And then again, what's interesting about this, let's just reflect on the setting again. Jesus is telling a parable about a party at the Pharisee's party. Well, who's the first audience here? Who's hearing Jesus' story? It's a lot of religious leaders, isn't it? A lot of self-righteous religious leaders that he's observing. They're striving for status in this particular setting in a party. And this should really function like a smelling salt to our souls today. How many religious leaders in our day are striving for the inner ring? Right? So we need to hear what Jesus is saying and not have it just be a parable maybe we're familiar with. We need to sit in it right, to feel the grace and the truth that Jesus is speaking of here. 
And remember again, what does Jesus clearly say in verse 11? Put your finger on verse 11 and just hear it. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We have God's word on it. That's true reality. And if this again is convicting to you, yep, me too. Uh, You probably came here, hey, I'm coming to Picnic Sunday. Great. You didn't know we were going to be convicted, but this is a good, gracious conviction that Jesus brings here in the striving for status. So what we do with this is we confess and repent, and we look away from ourselves, and we look to Jesus. So in this first section, again, a parable about a party at a party from verses 7 through 11, we see the hospitality that's striving for status. And Jesus rebukes them and says, hey, your desire for hospitality should be coming from a heart of humility. And he was telling that story to the guests at the party. So just picture the host is kind of watching this like, man, who invited this guy? This is crazy at a party. He's rebuking everybody. And now, lest this guy thinks he's off the hook, Jesus turns and directs his attention to the host of the party. And that takes us to the second emphasis in our passage. That's in verses 12 through 14. Party number two, selfish hospitality. And our second parable, again, it's focused on the host of this party at the Pharisee's house. And Jesus is going to critique his guest list of who's at the party. Look at verses 12 through 14 with me. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Jesus is saying that in view of eternity, in view of the resurrection of the just, be generous and unselfish with who you invite to your party. Jesus is emphasizing here, and again, this is an earshot of his disciples. He's emphasizing the absolute importance of true hospitality, a hospitality that's humble and generous, that invites in and welcomes the poor, the lame, the crippled, the overlooked. And just so we're really clear, Jesus isn't saying here, if you ever have a party, you can never invite your friends and never invite your family. What's going on right here, the verb, the tense of the verb is really saying, stop continually inviting those that can repay you. Stop continually inviting those that can repay you. So Jesus looks around at the party, who's there, right? And he sees that the heart of the party host was to invite only people who could repay him. Only those who could help boost his image and his social status. So the hospitality of this party host, it was motivated by selfishness rather than true generosity. So again, we always want to ask why. Why would the party host be doing this? This religious party host. The party that's at the house of the Pharisees. And probably, honestly, for a lot of the same reasons today that people extend invitations to a party, to a dinner, to network, right, to network, to advance your image or social status, to build a relationship in order to sell something, to close a deal. You invite people in to get something rather than to give. And again, part of that, this is just life right? Life under the sun, as we heard from Ecclesiastes. 
but what brought to mind when I was studying this passage, so um, I come from corporate world, and my apologies if I ever use corporate ease on any of you, but I saw this all the time, and I was a part of it too. There'd be these dinners you'd be invited to or a happy hour event, and most of the time when you reflect back on what was happening, it was always to get something. So whether it was a vendor trying to sell you a new contract or it was someone in a VP role trying to advance up to the C-level and just building his or her social status and equity, they'd extend these invitations, right, and there'd be personal interaction, but it wasn't giving. It was all about getting, right? So can we getting what's happening here in this text? This is not foreign to us. We all see this and live this in our world right now too. But again, is the generosity, is the hospitality being generated, being fueled, being motivated by true generosity? And Jesus here again, what's he doing? He's not just at this party just like yelling in the corner at everybody, right? He doesn't have a sign that's just like, end of the world, and he's just yelling at everybody. He, he's, he's in relationship with these people. He's sitting down with them, but he's not messing around. He's filled with grace and truth, and he's not just focused on behavior. He's focused on the heart. And he's focused on the heart and how these people are living in light of eternity or not. And he says that, hey, if you live for the resurrection of the just, if you live for heaven, your hospitality is going to look a lot different. It's going to be marked more by giving than getting because you're living for eternity. And Jesus says when we have a dinner or a party, Again, we're to invite those who can't repay us. Our motive is to be of pure generosity and not selfish gain. Jesus is really saying here, he's really saying in God's kingdom, the inner ring that we were talking about, the inner ring includes the poor, the blind, the lame, and the crippled. That's God's inner ring. It's a lot different than the world all of us live in. Jesus, again, is saying here, what horizon you're living for changes how you live. It changes your hospitality. And then I just wonder, as I've been sitting in this text and just reflecting on it, right? God's word is written for our instruction. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides and brings out the intentions and motivations in our heart, like Hebrews 4 talks about. So maybe just take a minute to reflect who do you invite into your life? And why do you do that if you're being honest with yourself? Is it those who can repay you with something or those who can't repay you? What horizon is your hospitality living for? Is the posture of your hospitality reflecting our culture or God's kingdom? And remember the context here in Luke 14, I know this is heavy. I gave you a heads up at the beginning. Jesus isn't messing around here. But the context of Luke 14, it comes after Luke chapter 9 in verse 51 where it says, Jesus set his eyes, he set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face to the cross. So what he's talking about here in Luke 14, he's saying it on the way to, to really when he's going to demonstrate ultimate generosity and humility on the cross, right? What he came to accomplish. And again, we always want to make sure that we see our text in context. So remember back in Luke chapter 1 when we started Luke, verses 51 and 53, 
in Mary's song of praise. She's praising the Savior's arrival and his mission. And it says this in Luke 1, 51 through 53. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Here in Luke 14, we're catching this vision that Jesus is a different kind of king altogether, isn't he? With a different kingdom, different kingdom values where the poor and the lame and the overlooked are invited, are welcomed in to the king's party. Dave Martin recently shared this quote with me. Thank you, Dave. I'm going to read it to you, and I just want you to, to pay attention here. It's, it's long, but it's worth it. It's by D.A. Carson, and it's about the values of God's kingdom. Just listen to this. The reason there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. Christian love will stand out and bear witness to Jesus because it is a it is a display for Jesus' sake of mutual love among social incompatibles. Did you catch that here in view of the values of God's kingdom? The church that Jesus purchased with his own blood is not a group of just natural friends, but, quote, of mutual love of social incompatibles. Social incompatibles because of and for Jesus' sake. So we're starting to catch a glimpse what Jesus is pointing us to here. And this kind of hospitality that is to be reflected in the church, in us as Gresham Bible Church, that's the kind of hospitality that's different. It adorns the gospel. It changes people's lives. It glorifies God. It brings revival, doesn't it? to see this lived out because it's different. It's from a different king and a different kingdom. It fuels churches and it advances mission to the unreached people groups of the world in really hard places to live like this. So if you're anything like me, you probably can't help but feel kind of the weight and the wonder of what Jesus is talking about here. It kind of sounds too good to be true at some level. What Jesus models and calls us to, it's so different and it runs so counter to how we're wired as human beings and so counter to our culture, even our culture today. So as we move to the third part of our text, I want us just to be thinking about how do we live like this? How is this not just an abstraction? Where do you get the power to live this kind of hospitality that's full of humility and true generosity? So this brings us again to the third point of emphasis today, party number three, in verses 15 through 24, gospel hospitality. In verses 15 through 24, we're going to see Jesus tells another story that's about the final party and who's invited. And those that are saved into this final party are those that are not there because of their status, not there because of their effort or their performance. 
Instead, they're at this final party Jesus tells us about because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So put your finger on verse 15 and read with me through verse 24. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the air at the party had probably become really thick, right? As Jesus was critiquing the party guests and the party hosts. And then this guy in verse 15, he's kind of acting like, maybe he's trying to relieve the tension. He's like, hey, can't we all just get along? We're all going to feast in God's kingdom. That's what he's saying here. And while his, his comments at this Pharisee's house, like, it sounds really devout. Like, oh, man, that guy must know his Bible. Okay, that makes sense. It sounds devout, but his statement has a ton of assumptions in it that he's missing the whole point. He assumes that God's kingdom is like this distant concept. Yeah, someday in God's kingdom, new heavens and new earth, that'll happen. But he's not seeing what's right in front of him here at the party. He misses Jesus. And then starting in verse 16, it's like Jesus responds to this guy's comment who's trying to kind of relieve the tension in the room. It's like Jesus is saying, thanks for sharing, friend. Uh, What you say is true, but let's really talk about the most important thing. Let's talk about who's going to be on the invite list to my final party because it might surprise you. That's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is saying. And then in verses 16 through 24, Jesus tells this third and final story, this third and final parable about a great banquet. And in that culture, I found this really interesting in studying the text. It helps us kind of get what's going on here. Basically, they would send two invitations. If you're throwing a party, say Carrie and I are throwing a party, we would send our first invitation, hey, please come to our party. Here's the date, here's the time, here's the location, like what Dan did in the announcements today, right? But then right before the party's going to start, even the day of, the people throwing the party would send their servants or their workers to go send the personal invite, hey, the meat's all been cooked, the DJ's here, we're ready to party, okay? So that's what's happening here. And these people that give the excuses, they responded to the first invite, hey, thanks for the invite, RSVP, yep, I'll be there. But then when the servant comes and says, hey, everything's ready, let's party, they say, uh, uh, this stuff came up, I'm really sorry, but I can't come, and here's my excuse. So that's kind of what's happening just in common language going on here. And look at what their excuses are. Are any of these bad things? 
None of them, right? It's business dealings. Buying property or a house. Buying oxen. Buying a car. Getting married. All really good stuff. That's their excuse, though, and Jesus goes on to rebuke them for seeing that is more important than coming to the final party. And when he's talking about the final party, Jesus is talking about eternity here. He's talking about ultimate things, the master's party. Verse 24, Jesus says, my banquet, okay? This is God talk here. He's saying that's what they're missing out on. And again, remember, Jesus is saying this parable about the final party at the Pharisees' party. And he's saying it specifically to the guy who blurted out in verse 15. He's saying that, yeah, everyone, those who go to the final party, they're not who you think they're going to be. They're not the people that have it all together. They're not just the religious people. They're the blind, the lame, the crippled, the overlooked. That's who's going to be at my banquet. And again, just have it really just center in your heart and in your mind at verse 24 to really catch the reality of what Jesus is saying. For I tell you, none of these men who gave excuses, who were invited, shall taste my banquet. Those that ignored the kingdom right in front of them and made excuses won't be at Jesus' banquet. And the final party isn't about a, a party or hospitality that's based on status or selfishness. It's a party marked by humility and generosity by the host and by the guests. So in Jesus' parable about the final party, what he's really saying here at the Pharisee's house, he's saying that I'm coming not just for the, the Jewish people, not just for those that have it all together. I've come for the lame, the blind, the poor, the crippled. The gospel's for everybody. It's for Jew and Gentile alike. That's the scene, the setting that Jesus proclaims this here. And then look at his invitation from the, this parable of the master. He's saying, fine, if they're not going to accept my invite, go invite these people. And then go invite these people. And then invite the people after that. It's alive. His invitation, it's always moving forward and outward. And again, if we just reflect on this, aren't we living in this same invitation today? Verse 23, the master says, my house, my party table will be fulfilled. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. And it's what Jesus says our mission as individual Christians in the church still is today, right? In the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the master's invitation, it's still spreading and advancing today through his people welcoming all who accept the invitation to trust and follow King Jesus. This party, this invite, is still happening in our day. But again, what happens in our text? Jesus' listeners at the party, they just assumed they'd be at this great banquet. After all, they were the righteous Jewish people who they thought the Messiah was coming for. But they didn't deserve to be at their party just based on their status, right, or their heritage or their religious performance. Jesus, again, he's putting everybody on notice here through this party. The gospel is for the whole world. And we can think about this. There's so many places we could go, but just one quick verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So this is, again, Jesus is saying the invites for everybody, the gospels for Jew and Gentile alike. So picture this again. 
want us to lean into who Jesus is. Picture the setting, where he's saying this, who's listening. Again, this text is hard. It's confrontational. This is like a rap battle for Jesus. This is a mic drop moment where he puts them all on notice and he says, hey, these people that think they're going to be at my banquet, they're not. That's what Jesus is saying here. And I wonder, though, just as we want to, we don't want to hear God's word and just, oh, yeah, that's great. We want to really hear it and be changed by it. So as I've been reflecting on it, I'd ask you to do the same. I wonder what kind of excuses we make for following Jesus. Because we're made of the same stuff as this first audience, right? Excuses that maybe we all have in our ordinary day-to-day life that aren't necessarily bad things, that are good things, but excuses that we use for avoiding the radical call of Jesus in each of our lives. The things that distract us from Jesus, from being all in. And Jesus is saying here in this parable, he's saying here that our concerns about the things of the world, again, even these good things, those can distract us from the reality of the final party. They can distract us from missing who Jesus is. Jesus can become a concept or an abstraction. Or you think, yeah, because I'm at the same party as Jesus like Josh preached last week. I have proximity to him. That gets me to the final party. No, it doesn't. Jesus is talking here about what is true hospitality and our need for it. Because really here, when you really think about what these excuses are at this party, if these guys really wanted to go, they would have gone, right? Because we all ultimately do what we want to do. So the problem here is a wanting problem. They didn't really want to go to the final banquet, to the final party. If you think about it, their loves were disordered. They probably liked this master. The party sounded great, but they didn't love him more than these other commitments that they had. They were really striving for a different inner ring than what the master had. So if you think about it another way, these guys here in Jesus' parable, they shouldn't have loved these good things less. They should have just loved God more, and then everything would have fallen in its proper place. They would be at the party and love their spouse. They would be at the party and go to work. But instead, they chose the ordinary things of life instead of the master's party. And again, if you're anything like me, aren't we all prone to do the same thing? Listen to this quote by David Wells that speaks to this. We have turned to a God that we can use rather than to a God we must obey. We have turned to a God who will fulfill our needs rather than to a God whom we must surrender our rights to ourselves. And so we transform the God of mercy into a God who is at our mercy. We transform the God of mercy into a God who is at our mercy. And isn't that really what's happening here with their excuses? The master is at their mercy. I'll go if it fits my schedule, if it's convenient. And as we sit under God's word today, again, God's word is like a mirror where we really see ourselves truly, right, fully, rightly. We need to honestly ask ourselves, because each of us can and should respond to this question. What are those things that distract us from Jesus? 
And then how are we living like God is at our mercy? So Jesus is crystal clear here at this party. You're either going to live for God's kingdom or your own. You're going to live for God's party or your party. It's just a matter of which one you're going to live for. So to summarize in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 24, again, this is a hard text, okay? We've seen what Jesus, King Jesus, on his way to the cross, has to say about status hospitality, what he's had to say about selfish hospitality, and then what he's had to say about gospel hospitality, and a life that lives for the final party. So as we move to a close, I just want to share a brief story with you that I think helps kind of paint a picture or illustrates what true hospitality isn't and then what true hospitality is. And what I'm going to tell you sounds like a scene from a movie, but I assure you it's true. So we have friends who recently went to see relatives in a different state, and these relatives let our friends and their kids stay with them. So they show up at this house to see their relatives for just like two to three days. And again, remember this, file it away. These relatives said they could stay with them, right? So they were extending hospitality. But then when our friends and their kids, can't help but just smile thinking about it, uh, show up at this house, there are no joke signs up all over the house, like maybe sticky notes that say, don't touch this. Don't use the washer and dryer. Break it, you pay for it. Okay, so she's, this person says, yeah, you can stay with us. And there's these signs all over the house. I'm not making this up. And then our friend's kids overhear this host say on the phone to someone, I can't wait till they're gone because it's going to help my electricity and water bill go back down. Right? And they were there for like two or three days. So, so I'm telling you this. We're like, oh, yeah, that's funny. That was my reaction, too, until I really, like, pictured being our friends. And it's disgusting right? It honestly makes you angry. Like this person thought they were being hospitable, and then they have these signs all over the house saying, don't touch. You know, you break it, you pay for it. Can't wait till you're out of here. Like, yeah, you invited us. Remember that? So that is what hospitality isn't, right? And we would all nod our heads and say, yeah, that's not hospitality. But as I reflected on the text this week, and again, I'm not trying to be overly harsh. I'm trying to have the tone of the sermon be the tone of the text, don't we all do the same thing? If we're really honest in our heart of hearts, don't we do the same thing? Our friend's host, she liked the concept or the idea of being hospitable, but not in practice, right? She was a hospitality hypocrite is really what she was. But again, don't we do this if we're being really transparent, right? So just, just picture with me. Jesus' focus here in our text is about the heart. So in your heart, in my heart, don't we have signs up that limit the extent of our hospitality, whether in response to Jesus' hospitality and then how hospitality functions, how hospitable we are to other people in our life, right? Maybe some of those signs deal with certain conditions, Right? Certain conveniences or comfort levels that limit the level of hospitality that we show. But as Christians, we all have this general sense, yeah, we're to be a hospitable people. Like in, in Romans 12, 13, right after all the glories of, of the gospel in Romans, Romans 12, 13 says that we're to pursue hospitality. 
So God's people are to be hospitable. But isn't our hospitality often, doesn't it look more like the first two stories in our text today? Where it's more fueled maybe by status or being selfish rather than fully generous or humble? Do we seek a hospitality that looks more like Pinterest than the pages of Scripture? In our heart of hearts, is our hospitality truly generous and sacrificial, or is it convenient and comfortable? If you're just being really honest, before God, before his word, is your hospitality sacrificial? Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Is our hospitality individually and corporately as a church, is it for today or is it for eternity? Does our hospitality really, truly reflect the gospel? Okay, so that story, while humorous on the surface, is anything but. That is what hospitality is not. And then I want to leave us here as we close what true hospitality really is. And it's all in King Jesus here. In Luke 14, he's on his way to the cross. He's telling these stories of what real, true hospitality should be, fueled with humility and generosity. And then he lives that out in full glory, on display, at the cross and through the empty tomb. He brings about the ultimate expression of these parables. Remember the purpose of Luke in Luke 1, 4, is to have certainty about who Jesus is. Well, now we're looking back at the cross, and these parables give us certainty. Jesus is this great. He's this good. He's this gracious. He really brings about the type of hospitality that he calls for, that he wants us to display because of who he is, right? Jesus really, truly makes enemies his friends. For those of you that are here that worship Jesus, that are Christians, you used to be his enemy. You preferred to live for status, right, before you came to know Jesus. And then he made his enemy his friend at the cost of his own life on the cross. And if you're not a Christian, I'm really glad you're here. I hope these stories have really helped you maybe wrestle with and consider more deeply who Jesus is. I hope you're moving, progressing from not just being the guys at the party who are carefully observing Jesus, but that you really believe that Jesus is this good, that you really believe he is who he said he is. You can have certainty about Jesus. And then for those that are Christians today, again, a harsh text, but God's word is written for our instruction. Jesus is for us and God not against us. This text should bring about a renewed certainty, repentance. We're at a cry to, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief in light of this call for true repentance and true humility. So again, Jesus is the fullness of humility and generous hospitality. King Jesus graciously invites us to repent of our striving for status and to repent and believe the good news of who he is and all that he promises. This invitation is for all of us because we're all poor, we're all blind, we're all lame in the brokenness of our hearts. We have nothing to offer God but our need of him. That's how hospitable Jesus is. You don't bring him a housewarming gift. 
He did that for you. All you have to offer God is your need of him. So as we close here, I just want us to consider briefly the call to worship passage that Danny read for us from Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 6, and 7, it's about Jesus. And remember, Jesus, for the joy set before him, did this in Philippians 2. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the cross and the empty tomb are the ultimate display of humble and generous hospitality. And then that, that you're like, yes, but it gets even better. Jesus' hospitality, it goes on and on and on. It never stops. In Revelation chapter 19, it's about the marriage supper of the Lamb and all who are there because of Jesus, who believe in who Jesus is. And it says that these party guests, right, at the final party will rejoice and exalt and give him glory because God wants his banquet table to be filled. That's who he is. That's how hospitable he is. So once you've tasted of this hospitality, remember we asked ourselves, man, how do you live like this? The only way is to believe in Jesus and then have this applied to your heart, right? It's not a concept. It moves to belief. I worship Jesus because of all that he is, because of how hospitable he is. And then Jesus, he welcomes us in as this amazing party host in order to send us out to be the instruments of extending this invitation because he wants his party to be full, okay? And he uses us to do that through proclaiming the gospel. And only then when Jesus' amazing hospitality, when it's applied to your heart, to what you love, only then can you live into this, right? There's a huge gap between our kind of hospitality and Jesus' hospitality. And he welcomes us into that because he's gracious and good and kind all right, thanks for enjoying this passage with me today, even though we have a rocket ship on the stage. And uh, I'm going to pray for us in a minute, and then we're going to have a time to reflect and consider what we've heard as a song as we listen to that. And then Josh is going to come lead us in communion. And I want you to prepare your heart now to hear, really hear what Jesus is saying to us today through his word. Consider his greatest act of hospitality that we're going to partake of together in a minute through communion. So to reflect on this, to confess and repent, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, and then to rest and exalt in Jesus' ultimate humility and generosity. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, you are so good and so great and so gracious so kind, Lord, your kindness leads us to repentance. We praise you for your faithfulness and your steadfast love. We praise you that your word always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. I pray you will use what was shared today to strengthen Gresham Bible Church. I pray, Lord, for a response from all of us that is filled with confession, repentance, belief, surrender, trust, worship, and joy. Today and throughout this week, Lord, as we seek to know you more and make you known, to display your hospitality to those who don't know you. Father, may we not shift from the sure hope of the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.